0: An honor and privilege to um, welcome the man of the word today, Joel Narayan, is going to be sharing with us this morning. Come on, Joel. Awesome. Thank Fantastic. You. Thanks, Pastor Cherie. Good morning, church. Good morning, morning. Let me just open my iPad. Last time I preached, I went to open my iPad and it was broken. And it died. So I think we've got better luck this time. I'm borrowing someone. So this is good. How's everyone feeling? Good. Yeah, fantastic. Well, good morning. My name is Joel, for those who may not know, um, but I'm blessed to be here to speak to you today. Um, I've got an awesome and important sermon, I think. It's a very simple sermon. Everyone say simple. It's a simple sermon today. Um, but I believe it's something that God has been journeying me on for the last probably my whole life, but um, in intense moments in the last 12 months and over the last six months. So I encourage that the same way that this word and, and this idea um, has spoken to me, I, I pray that it speaks to you today it speaks into your heart, speaks into your world, um, and that the Word of God would be alive today and work on us all. Does that sound good? Um, today I'm going, if you've got your physical Bibles or your phone Bibles, we're going to go to Philippians 4, chapter uh, 11, oh no, sorry, chapter 4. Philippians 4, chapter, sorry, I'm going to get this right. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Um, so the book of Philippians, I was just reading this on Monday, um, uh, the book of Philippians. It's actually a letter to the Philippi church. Um, Paul, the Apostle Paul addresses it to God's holy people in Philippi. Um, and it's an amazing letter, the letter um, of Philippians. Um, and it's because of this, because Paul wrote it while he was in prison. Paul was in chains while writing this letter. And a couple of his other letters are like this as well. And he was writing it and it was a very joyful letter. It was a very thankful letter to the Philippian church. Uh, The Philippian church had actually reached out and supported uh, the Apostle Paul financially. Um, And towards the end of the letter, where where we're reading from, sort of in his closing uh, remarks, he, he has this section here where he starts to thank Uh, the Philippian church for supporting him. A guy called Epaphroditus uh, brought a financial gift while Paul was in prison, probably paying for his prison expenses and and everything else that was happening at the time. Um, But Paul writes this letter to build the joy of the Philippian church. Isn't that remarkable that he he came to build uh, their faith that despite persecution, the church is still growing, that God's still moving and that the sufficiency of Christ was enough for their life. So the the title of my sermon today is The Secret. Everyone say The Secret. So how do we run? How do we run the race and pursue the prize that God has for us, yet remain fully secure and spiritually resourced internally? How do we remain content? And that's the buzzword that's going to be used today is the word content. Um, So let's read from Philippians chapter 4. Verse 10, it says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. So Paul here is speaking uh, to the Philippian church via this letter and says that, uh, I'm I'm rejoicing that you've actually reached out to me um, and provided me with the gift. It says, indeed you were concerned, but previously you had no opportunity to show it. He says, I am not saying this because I am in need. Paul's saying, I'm not writing this thank you letter for giving me this financial gift because I'm in need and I'm asking for more. He's teaching him a lesson, he says, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Why don't we pray, God, I thank you this morning. Uh, for this wonderful congregation, Lord. God, I pray for the brothers and sisters in Christ here today. Lord God, that we'd be inspired in the same way that Paul wrote to the Philippians, Lord God, that we would look through this letter and see, Lord God, the lessons that you've taught us and, and, and the inspired Word of God through the Apostle Paul, Lord God. I just pray, uh, Jesus, that there would be a contentment in the house, Lord God, that if there's any um, discontentment in our hearts, Lord God, that we could find a peace this morning, we could realize the sufficiency of Jesus Christ in our lives, God. And I I just thank you this morning um, that you would awaken our hearts, your word would be alive, it would be moving, our hearts would be transformed and we'd walk out differently to what we walked in. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, amen. Amen, amen. Man, Paul was literally writing this While in prison, isn't that phenomenal that he came to write the Philippian church a letter while he was in chains of how to be content, no matter the circumstance. Paul wasn't writing this while he was on the high of life, right? He wasn't writing this while he was, you know, seeing an incredible revival in, in the person. There was revival happening, but he was in prison. And he had every excuse in the world to complain. He had every excuse in the world not to be content with where he was, uh, Paul, uh, for those of you maybe know the story of Apostle Paul, but he had been beaten with rods. He was heavily persecuted. Previously, before he converted um, and found Jesus for himself, he was persecuting Christians. But once he converted, he was on fire for Christ and was severely persecuted. He was beaten with rods. He was, he was whipped. It says that he, got, he received 40 minus one lashes. He was at the point of death sometimes. You could just tell he was beaten. He was pelted with stones He'd been put in prison like he was in this. He faced angry mobs. He worked to exhaustion. He endured sleepless nights and had many times gone without food. Poor in a lot of his missionary journeys, he was bivocational. He was a tent maker um, and he was working during the day and then going and teaching in the synagogues and temples um, by a weekend. He was working night and day, going without sleep, food, and he even said himself that t- at times he was cold and naked. And he did all this for Christ. But then Paul says, I learned to be content. I learned to be content through whatever circumstances, whatever situation. An interesting word that I like here, it says that Paul learned the secret. He says, I learned the secret of being content. I learned the secret. It's something that he developed over time. It wasn't just something that he heard about or he read about. He had the experience of the highs and lows of life as we just spoke about. He had uh, In his previous life, when he was under the the Pharisee Gamaliel, he was under this top Pharisee and and he had everything. It says that he had everything to boast about. He had the title, he had the reputation, but he went through this series and this journey in life of faith in Christ where he had plenty and then at times he had little. And it says, I've learned the secret of being content. And I'm going to burst that secret pretty early into this sermon. And that secret is found in verse 13. It says, because I can do all of this through Him who strengthens me. That He could do all of this through Christ who gives Him strength. His the secret is to trust in Christ with all we have. My point number one is contentment is gained through Christ. It's like walking like David did when David wrote Psalm twenty-three. He was he was exiled. Scholars believe his son overtook him in in his kingship, and and. And David wrote in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or I I have all that I need. How powerful that we've got examples of people that believed in God so much, that had such a strong relationship with God, that they realised no matter the circumstances around them, their sufficiency wasn't in their circumstances, their sufficiency was in their God, their shepherd. And I'm hoping that for me, And in my journey, I know I've been trying to learn the secret of trusting God. Anyone else in this place? Anyone else been trying to lean on that? And I pray that we can learn that together. Um, It's interesting because at the time there was Greek philosophy. um, uh, There was a guy called Stoic. um, And they they promoted these ideas of sufficiency. And and there was this idea that if I could rid myself or eliminate all of the desires in my life, I would feel content. That if I could just get rid of all of my desires and and I desired nothing, if I could get rid of all my emotions and not feel anything, that's the place of contentment. That there would be independent of every circumstance. And, And the issue with this philosophy at the time was that it was based on your own will, an individual's own will to rid themselves of that. If I can just cut out all these things and remove the distractions, then I will be content. But unfortunately, this tends to promote an apathy, uh, a complacency, and it's a self-reliance a on self. But what Paul is promoting is something different here. And sometimes we can get caught up on the I can do all things, but don't get to the second half of how we do all those things. True? <laughs> and what's interesting is we see this verse used throughout our Christian lives, and you've heard it many times, maybe on the front of a Bible or on a motivational post on Facebook, but this is the context, for I can do all things, in, all these things in Christ who strengthens me. It's actually, I can be content in all things because of Christ who strengthens me. Now, no matter the circumstances, that I can be content in whatever I have. Pause and saying here, I'm a Christian, so God's gonna bless me with all these things and I'm always gonna be healthy. I'm always gonna be provided. He, he, he went through hard situations, but his worth, his relationship with Christ wasn't dependent on those things. He was sufficient in Christ and on his strength. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Point number two, and I kind of chuckled at this one, so please don't be offended. But it says, point number two, contentment is gained through Christ and not complaining. There was a story, there's a famous popular story that you might've heard before. It's a story about a man that, that lived in Hungary who complained to his pastor. He goes to his pastor, Pastor, life is unbearable. Nine of us are living in a bedroom. What can I do? The pastor answered, he said, take your goat into the room with you. Do as I say and return in a week. The man was kind of doubtful as you would be, right? I've lived on a farm and I know goats are not really something you want to have in your bedroom. It's not something you, I don't, I was a bit, yeah, funny with guys, I didn't want them in close proximity. But he says, take the goat into the room with you. So the guy was doubtful and he obeyed. He went home and brought his goat into the room. Now there were nine people in this bedroom plus the goat. Yeah, you're right, Chris, you got it. Chris knows the script. (laughs) A week later, this man then returned to this pastor, even more distraught than ever. He says, we can't stand it. This goat is filthy. The pastor replied, okay, sir, go home and let the goat out and come back in a week. A week later, the man returns radiant, Life is beautiful, he declared. We enjoyed every minute of it now that there is no goat. There are only nine of us in this bedroom. <laughs> Perspective brings content, hey? In Philippians, earlier in this letter um, that Paul was writing, Philippians two fourteen fifteen, 14, 15, he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Oftentimes, grumbling and complaining can be toxic for our lives. Um, it's kind of reminiscent of the Israelites going through the wilderness. God had just freed them from slavery in Egypt. Just, and now they were in the wilderness in freedom. And, and all of a sudden, because they started to go through some challenges and, and the food and water wasn't there like it was before when they were in slavery, and they weren't told and they weren't instructed like they were, in, in slavery, they begin to talk to God and say, God, I'd, I would rather go back into being slavery than go through this journey with you in faith. It was easier. But it kind of shows an ungratefulness for what God has done when we lack that contentment and we complain about what, 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 what we're going through. It kind of insults His timing and undermines His purposes and it kind of reflects an unbelief. And, and I truly believe that complaining itself isn't, isn't necessarily bad per se. If you look at the Psalms, David laments in a lot of his Psalms and he comes before the God and he pours out his heart and his emotion. Uh, but how are we complaining? Are we complaining about God? Are we complaining about our circumstances? Are we complaining about what we're going through? Are we trusting in God? Because complaining can take you straight out of contentment real quick. We have a natural sinful inclination to complain and see the negative, but God has given us his Holy Spirit. We are here to live a spirit for a life of self-control I know for myself personally, uh, over the last six months or so, uh, I had a time late last year in my job, where I was in my job, there was a whole bunch of change and restructure, and, and there was a real negative sense around my role and the people in my role. And oftentimes there's a a lot of negativity at work and I try to stay out of it, but I started to get consumed a little bit by it because I realized, wow, this role is kind of process heavy. Wow, this role is kind of getting a bit tiresome. We're not really being looked after. And I went into this mindset of like, wow, I really feel, I felt agitated about where I was. I felt this sense of, oh, like I just didn't feel easy of where I was. I didn't feel this peace about where I was. And And God took me through this journey uh, because I realised that my ungratefulness of having this role, because when I got that role, you can imagine after the job interview and the guy rang me, I was over the moon, right? I was like, wow, i got a job, blah, blah, blah. Um, But walking through this season and realising with all these changes, trying to uh, keep my heart pure in this season was very difficult. And I found myself being negative and all of a sudden work got worse the more negative I was, (laughs) The more that I started to join in in the complaining, it was like, oh my gosh, like, this is really a terrible job. This is, I I need to move on. I need to go. But God was showing me through that season how to be content. Hard, right? Hard. It's not, not saying that you won't move on, Joel. You won't change roles. But he was saying that he was working on me in that season. And I realized that when I started to come into work and, and, I, and when God was teaching me this lesson and I, and I started to walk into work and start to focus, all right, this is what I'm doing today. God, help me through what I was doing. I promised you, I was on the way to work. I was praying, God, please, God, don't let complaining come out of my mouth. There was such an inclination, just God, just keep my, my mouth uh, secure, keep it. Don't let me ha- complain at work today. And, and I started to look at the work in front of me and, and started to say, you know what? God has called me to be faithful over few. Even if I don't feel like it right now, God has called me to be faithful in the season I'm, I'm in. Because I know it, it might not have been my timing in that role, but it was God's timing. God was shaping me in that season. The danger is we have an insatiable desire for more, more money, higher salary, promotion, a bigger house, more pets. Longer holidays, shorter work weeks, more friends, a better relationship, more possessions, a car upgrade. There's always more. But God is calling us to be faithful in the few and He will work on us through there. Point number three, contentment is gained through Christ, not comparison, not comparison. How many of you guys know the the parable of the prodigal son? Anyone know that parable? Some people are familiar with it. Well, there was a, there was a man who had two sons, um, and you can read it in Luke 15. And this man had two sons. You could tell he's a bit of a wealthy bloke um, because um, he had servants and he was working uh, the produce. And one son, one day he, he woke up, I don't know all of his circumstances, but he woke up and says, Father, can you please divide the inheritance with me? So he wanted his inheritance early. Usually you wait for the father to die to split the inheritance uh, but he says, can I have it early? You can see there was this discontentment about being in his father's house. There was, there was this desire for more. There's more out there in the world. There's more out there that I can achieve. So he took his inheritance. And then as, as many of you may know, he goes out into the world and he squanders his wealth. He spends it on, on just wild living, the Bible says. He spends it on prostitutes. It's just real like dark stuff. Uh, and he went out and squandered it. And then many of you may know this, the story goes, he comes back and the father accepts him with open arms. It's, it's really a picture of the, the God, the father, accepting us as lost children. Um, and the father welcomes him and gives him this, this unbelievable robe. It was a beautiful robe. He gave him uh, these sandals that were fantastic. And he gave him all these things. Um, and he gave him a ring on his finger. He fattened a calf and, and had a feast for him. They had a celebration now that this lost son had come home that had a whole party, uh, there was dancing and music. And, and the parable finishes with this, that says that the older brother was in the field working, the older brother uh, of, of, this, of, this, um, of this father. And the older son was in the field working and he heard the dancing and the music and he sent a servant over to see what was going on. They're like, your brother has arrived. And then the news went to him and said, and the guy did not wanna go and join in the celebration. He didn't wanna go join in the, in the dancing and the music and he, said, and he was angry with his father. And he says, father, I have worked here day and night. I've worked here, I've never asked for anything. You've never had my friends over for a feast. Never. You've never done that. Yet someone that squandered the world, someone that was irresponsible has come and now you're celebrating him. You can see with the first son, There was a discontentment that it wasn't enough being in his father's house. He wanted to go explore the world more. And in the second son, there was this jealousy and this comparison that he started to get into. He sits in his jealousy instead of enjoying the blessing of others. And I can tell you today that comparison can be a sickness for our hearts. We begin to covet and want what others have. And my question for you today, and something that I challenge myself when I hear something really good about someone else, is are you truly able to celebrate other people's success? Are you, other, are you able to celebrate when someone else does well? Because that's a sure sign of the contentment in your own heart. When someone else gets that promotion, when someone else has that baby, when someone else does that thing, gets into that relationship, when someone else, can you be truly in your heart, celebrate for that? Are you full of joy for that person? Or in our hearts, do we bring them down and say, oh, but this and that, they don't have this or that. look at the way they got that. They got it handed to the, are we truly happy for other people? Do we have to one up other people? Do we have to boast in our achievement? Do we live in what we used to have in the old times of what God used to do? So on stuff that no longer exists. And this is why it doesn't matter as much as we think, right? Because we realize that our sufficiency is in Christ. Our contentment is in Christ, that no matter what happens in this world, no matter what we have, we have Jesus Christ. But money can be lost and earned. Cars are new one day, the, the day you drive them out of the dealership, they're old. Two weeks later, they break down. <laughs> These things happen. Jobs can provide a salary and some security, but then the economy turns over. Your firm gets, uh, gets sued and you no longer have a job. People are there one moment, the next moment they're not there, they leave, they get sick, people pass away. Situations can deteriorate. So if we put our trust in these temporal things, it's a simple sermon today, guys, but it's a powerful one if we let us sink into our hearts. It's a simple sermon. But if we put our satisfaction, if we put our trust on temporal things, if your sufficiency is in your title, your position at work, who you are, your gifting, if your sufficiency is in your position, who your family is, your status, your social class, your Instagram following, if your sufficiency is in these things, you're leading yourself to ruins. Because as soon as one of those variables change, you're discontent with your life. But we must realise we are chosen people. That we receive our fullness from Christ and Christ alone. That my sufficiency, who I am, is not based on who, where I come from, my sufficiency is in the fact that I have two parents and I have a family that I was born in Western Sydney. That's not where my sufficiency is. My sufficiency is in Christ and Christ alone. That when I'm going through difficult circumstances, it's not my possessions, it's not my materials, it's not my status, it's not my job that keeps me in check, it's my Lord. It's my Saviour who I can go into the quiet moments and say, God, here is my everything. That's who I complain to. He is my everything. He is what makes me content. These things pass away. If we leave our sufficiency in possessions or in people, these things change. But Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life. He died, but He rose again. He's resurrected. So He has victory. So Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. He's an eternal God. He never changes. He's something we can hold on to forever. Last point for me this morning, number four, contentment is gained through Christ not outcomes. Everyone say not outcomes. This is my favourite point. All of the points before this were just a warm up to this point because I like this one. So stick with me for this one. Contentment is not based on results or outcomes or in current circumstances. Paul praised, Paul was full of praise and joy in this letter to the Philippians. And believe me, it wasn't based on his circumstance. It wasn't based on his blessing at the moment. Paul was full of joys and adoration for God who put him through all of this. But it wasn't because he was in a good circumstance. And sort of my question for for myself that I ask myself and my question for you today is, do you stop relying on Jesus or trusting in Him when times get tough? When things aren't going right? And it's, it's important because Paul here is definitely talking about his material uh, life as well. He's talking about when he doesn't, this is talking about a financial gift or when he's gone hungry. Yeah. Do we trust in God when the next bill is coming up and we can't pay it, or we're worried our, about our bank balance, or we're not sure how we're gonna meet that medical expense? Do we still trust God in that situation? Is our first inclination to reach out to God in that moment. I've got two examples of some people in the Bible, some men of faith, Um that sort of saw this in their life, that their faith and their trust in Christ, their contentment was not based on outcomes or results. It wasn't based on their circumstances, but it was securing God. The first one is Abraham in, in Genesis 22. God gives him a son, Isaac, that they've been believing and praying for, that it was promised for a very long time. They received him in their in the old age. And, and God asks Abraham, he says, Abraham, can you take Isaac up to the mountain and sacrifice him? And that is a bold request. And what happens is Abraham, he goes to the altar and he has such a faith in God that, God, that the Bible says that Abraham's faith was counted as righteousness, that Abraham had a faith in God and a trust in God like no other. So he went to the altar and the only reason why Isaac wasn't sacrificed in the day is because an angel of the Lord intervened and God provided a ram. Abraham had such a faith that he was going to go ahead with sacrificing Isaac. And in that moment, God provided a ram for the sacrifice and God provided. And that's how we get the name Jehovah Jireh, which is God sees and he provides. So Abraham was going through with it despite the outcome. He could have He was going in with such a faith that he says, you know what, my son might die today, but I'm being obedient to God. That's such a faith. In Daniel chapter three, this is one of my favourites. Daniel chapter three, there's this trio called Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Powerful trio, powerful, powerful trio. And in Daniel chapter 3, what happens is uh, the King Nebuchadnezzar at the time, he builds this golden statue. And, it, and his request and the decree was that everyone would worship this statue. Everyone in town would bow down to this thing. And there was these three holy men called Meshach. Uh, sorry, I always chop these names, but it's Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego. Um, and, and these holy men refused to bow down to this statue very powerful symbol, and it's something, it's a challenge for us as Christians in a society, and a culture that wants us to bow down to so many things. Uh, but, but they had this challenge that they had to go against the whole culture and all of society and not bow down to this, uh, to this gold idol. So it comes to a moment where they're about to get arrested and then tortured for, for not obeying the decree of the king. And he gives them one last chance King Nebuchadnezzar brings them in and says, I'll give you one last chance. If you just worship this idol, you will not be punished. And they had such a faith. The punishment was they were gonna throw him into a fiery furnace. They were gonna throw him into this thing that was very, very hot, hotter than a wood fire pizza oven, hotter than your fireplace at home. This was like burning. It was very, very hot. You were gonna be dead, no problems. It was, it was really bad. And he was threatening, threatening them with this. And they had such a faith and a reliance in God. And I want to point something out in their response to the king when he gives them that last chance. He says this in Daniel three sixteen to 18. It says, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. That is faith right there. That is faith to be in the midst, about to walk into a fiery furnace and say, my God will deliver and save me. And that's the faith that we need when we're going through circumstances that my God will save me. But watch this, that, that is great. But this is the part that gets me because our, our life and our, and our faith is to be sufficient on Christ alone. It's on our relationship with Him. It's not on what He gives us. It's not on what He does for us. It, it, it's on who Jesus is. That's, that's who we love. That's who we cry out to. Our relationship with Him is more important than anything. But they say this, it's powerful in verse 18, but even if He does not, we want you to know, Your Majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. But even if He doesn't, would you have a faith, but even if He doesn't? Because I'm not gonna stop pursuing Jesus, even if He doesn't. Even if He didn't provide the ram, even if he didn't save me for the fiery furnace, do you have the the faith even if he doesn't? Even if he doesn't provide for the next bill, even if he doesn't fix that relationship, even if he doesn't, whether I receive the blessing or not, whether I get positive news from the doctor or not, will I still be relying on God? Whether I'm wealthy or poor, whether I live to see another day or I don't, whether I get the promotion or not, whether I live in the right neighborhood or not, would I still pursue Jesus the same way, even if He doesn't? Because my contentment, my my sufficiency is not in what's around me, but it's in my Lord Jesus Christ. It's in my Saviour, because even if He doesn't. Because Jesus Christ fills me with strength. He fills us with hope. And just being in His presence is more than enough. You know that song, There's No Place That I Would Rather Be? Do we truly sing those lyrics that there's no place I would rather, no matter what happens, even if the world burns down around me, if we see the the book of Job, everything just got wiped away, would we still worship God? Because that's the danger of, of even Western Christianity sometimes, is that we are caught on the blessings of God, that we're connected to the vine. Jesus says to be connected to the vine. And then all of a sudden we get caught up on the fruit more than we do the vine. But He says, you must abide in Me and I'll abide in you. Is your sufficiency in Christ Jesus? Is being in relationship with Him enough? Because what, what happens in this story is, is remarkable. It says that the, the, the trio went into the furnace and they were not burnt. There was no sign of them even being in the fire. And what was remarkable is that they saw a fourth man in that fire. And they said that it looked like the Son of God. No matter what we're going through, no matter what circumstance, whether you're living in plenty and you think feel like life's pretty good right now, or whether you're going through a circumstances that are challenging, there is a fourth guy in the fire with you in every moment. And we're not not basing our faith on on blessing. We're not basing our faith on where we're at and and, and how life is and, and the circumstances of life. Our faith is based purely in Jesus, in our relationship with Him. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. My question for you today, church, are you content in your heart? Does life's challenges throw you When bad things happen, when you've had a bad week, does it throw you and you can't do anything else? Jesus wants to be with you in those moments. He wants to be with you in there because He gives you strength. When we are content, church, the beautiful side of this is when we are content, we can live in such a generosity and freedom. When we we know that we're not lacking, we can give and we can give abundantly because we know our God provides. He's the supplier of all our needs. We can live in freedom and we can, we can be generous in spirit when we celebrate other people's victories. We can be happy for other people. We can live a life that is big and free because we are content in who we are in Jesus. Why don't we close our eyes this morning? When I was in worship this morning, I felt like God was saying that there's a, there's at least one person here today, um, that this sermon's at least for one person. It might not be for every single person, or it might be. I don't know how God's speaking to you through this sermon today, but there's one person here, at least one person that needs this sermon. Is is Jesus your everything? Are you self sufficient on Jesus? Because it's not a self sufficiency as such; it's a God's sufficiency, it's a Christ sufficiency. Is Jesus more than enough? If you were to lose everything tomorrow, is your faith at a point where, you know what, Jesus, you're all I need? If everything was to be wiped away tomorrow, would Jesus be enough? Because guess what? That's what heaven looks like. That's what eternity looks like. It looks like being in Jesus's presence. So I'm gonna give an opportunity this morning uh, just to respond in faith. And contentment is something that is deep in the heart. It's something that, uh, we sometimes see the symptoms of discontentment. You might see the wrestles in life and you don't really realise um, that you are discontent. But there's, some, there's just moments in life when you respond to circumstance, you're like, wow, I really, I just, I just don't feel like I have enough or I'm, I am where I am meant to be. But God is telling some people this morning, you are exactly where you're called to be. That trust, trust in my timing because when we believe that God is in control, we believe His timing is in control. We believe that His provision, He's in control of the provision. So if that's you today and you wanna respond afresh today and you wanna have a fresh sense of contentment in your heart and you say, you know what, Christ, I need you more. I give. I, give, I surrender my life to you. I surrender my desires to you. I'll get you to raise your hands." Is there anyone here this morning? I see that hand. Is there anyone else here this morning? It might be just the one, but is there anyone else that wants to respond in faith this morning? See that hand. Even now, as we sit in silence, is it awkward or is are you feeling content in your heart? Is the presence of God all you need? Or is there an itch for more? Praise God. Why don't we stand to our feet? We're gonna pray together uh, for all of our hearts, mine included, that we can live in this next season. I know there's been a lot of uh, volatility over the last, year and a half of COVID and everything that's happened and we're coming into a new season. But why don't we just pray that whether it be blessing, whether it be good times, whether we're living in freedom from restriction or we're living in restriction, that we can have a contentment in our heart that Christ is enough, that we're not going to be swayed by outside circumstances about regulations or whatever it is that we're going to be content in our heart because we know that Christ is sufficient for our lives. If you're comfortable in this place, why don't you raise your hands as we pray. God, I thank you today. God, I thank you, Lord God, that you would open up our hearts to the glory of God. That it would open our hearts to the sufficiency of Christ, that through Christ, through Christ's strength, we could face whatever circumstance, whatever tragedy, Lord God, whatever issue, whatever infirmity or sickness, God. And we, just, we just pray, Lord God, that we would be content in our hearts, Lord God, that we would chase, Lord God, uh, the relationship with you, Lord God, and everything else would come after that, Lord God, yeah. that you would be our sole focus, God, yeah. that, if it, that our life would be centred on the cornerstone and that is Christ Jesus. So God, I thank you today that you would open our hearts to the love of Jesus. You would open our hearts to the joy of Christ, even when it looks terrible, even when it looks like nothing's happening, we know that God is in control, that we know that Christ is moving in our midst. We know that He is making a way where it seems like there is no way. And God, I just pray that You, that you humble our hearts, Lord God, that we would not be prideful in, in good circumstances. When the money's flowing, when the relationships are looking great, Lord God, that, you would, that, that we would not lose sight of our sufficiency in Christ. We would not have a reliance on our workplaces or our jobs or our employers or our customers. We would not have a reliance on those things because our, our provision, our Jehovah Jireh is Christ. So God, I thank you this morning that you unlock our hearts for the, for the riches of God, that Lord God, we could learn the secret of being content through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. In Jesus' name, we pray and believe. Amen, church. Amen, amen, amen. Why don't we worship together?
1: sing it out today, Christ is in the voice.
0: Church, I just feel like we should um, end this service with praying for hope. Because we know our hope, our contentment is in Jesus, but our hope is in Jesus too. So that even if we are going through a difficult circumstance right now or going through hardship, maybe it is in our workplace, maybe it is in our families, or maybe it's in our finances, that we would pray that we would have freedom from that and that there is that God is working on us in this timing, that it will happen in God's timing and that we can have the patience. We could be moulded by the potter in this process. And that would be shaped in the, into the people that God wants us to be in this, in this season. Would you pray with me, church? Can we believe for that? Yes. Fantastic. God, I thank You this morning, Lord God. I thank You, Lord God, for Your sufficiency, God. I pray that You are provider, Lord God, in whatever season we're in. God, I thank You that we don't take it into our own strength or our own ability, Lord God, to see a breakthrough. But we would be on our knees, Lord God. We would be praying, we'd be believing, we'd be crying out to the Father who loves us. Lord God, that we would come to you with prayer with prayer and petition and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, would be, would guide our hearts and minds. That God, I thank you that whatever people are believing for, Lord God, that you're shaping them, that you're molding them, and you're creating them and forming them into the people that you've called them to be. That people would be right on purpose, Lord God, and they're exactly where they need to be. They have exactly what they need to have, and that you're going to use them where they're where they are. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen, amen, amen. Thank you, church. Have a good Sunday.